Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Welcome, everybody. It is... Geez, the 23rd day of October, 23rd day of October. October's going quick, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. I like October, though. I'm here in New York. I like the, the weather changing. One day it's freezing. The next day it's warm and almost summertime. But welcome, everybody. Welcome to the podcast live. I am thrilled for my People Leaders Roundtable series. I've been doing these uh, every other week, and I've had the opportunity to connect with some tremendous leaders in our industry. And before we have these lovely podcast lives, I have an opportunity to speak to everyone individually, get to know them a little bit and learn about their business. But you guys at home watching, you have no clue. So let's start with the ladies first. We'll do some introductions. Erica, down on my Brady Bunch bottom right over there. I'd love if you could introduce yourself to everybody. Absolutely. Good morning. And thank you for having me first and foremost. And it's afternoon for many of you. So good morning for me here in San Francisco. My name is Erica thorson Gray. I oversee the talent acquisition function at LiveRamp here in San Francisco. Been with the company for about two and a half years. Um, been in talent acquisition for a really long time. I would date myself if I said how long. So I'll just leave it at that. But talent Fact acquisition machines. is my thing. I absolutely love it. Awesome. Rebecca. Hi, guys. I'm Rebecca Sharpstein. I am the head of people at Rapid SOS, an emergency tech startup in New York. Um, I've... I've actually only been uh, in this role for the past seven months, but have feels like I've been in the role for the past seven years. Um, really enjoying uh, my time uh, at Rapid SOS and excited to uh, share some thoughts with all of you. Yeah, and it's interesting too, you started seven months ago. I remember to our, our, our initial call saying that you literally started right at the beginning of the pandemic. So we'll, we'll certainly dig into that in a little bit. And my fellow namesake, Adam Hopewell, to my right. Hi, 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 good morning, good afternoon. Podcast listeners everywhere. Um, yeah, like my name's Adam Hopewell. Uh, I spent the last 20 years leading talent activity on a global basis. So including like four years India, four years China, seven years in the Middle East. And uh, the last four to five years have been based here in the US. Um, I'm currently working for Behavox, which is a hyper growth mode global AI company working in data analytics, working mostly with the financial sector, but also spreading that good word uh, all around the world uh, to our new customers, especially if anyone's from Japan. Yes, we love our new Japanese customers uh, and our Swedish customers too. Yay. Um, so anyway, yeah, lots of global activity going on uh, and delighted to be here on today's show, Adam. Awesome. And everybody welcome. And I love the global perspective and bringing everyone together. So it's always an interesting one. How we're going to, how we're going to start the show off. Cause you know, when I, when I, when I talk to candidates, I'm in the trenches, you know, I'm recruiting every single day and I'm asking people, how's it going? You know, how's it going? And it's a really interesting question too. So I'd love to start with Erica. Erica, how's it going? You know, what's, what's happening, you know, with you, what's happening, you know, on the ground at live ramp. Um, how's everyone reacting to this quote unquote new normal right now? Yeah, it really has become super normal, which is 
odd, right? And Rebecca, I cannot wait to hear some of the stories that you've had since you've started probably virtually the whole thing. So I'm really excited and interested in learning more about what you've been through. Um, but at LiveRamp, you know, we have, thankfully, we figured it out quickly from a talent acquisition perspective. And I think from work in general is that we figured out the remote piece really easily. We were able to transition the interviewing process, which was a big hurdle. We figured it out pretty well. We iterated many, many times and we're still iterating today, but we've been able to continue hiring. We've Since the pandemic started, we've hired nearly 200 people across wow. the globe. Um, and we've done it all virtually where we're used to seeing and flying people into our offices and in the logistics behind it we've been able we haven't skipped a beat which is phenomenal um yeah. our training team was able to make sure that we changed our onboarding so that people still had the same experience even though they didn't get to physically see people yeah and we're gonna and we're gonna and we're gonna dig it we're gonna di we're gonna dig into onboarding you know as we continue um but how, how are you yourself i mean how have you how have you adjusted were you on site or were you mm -hmm. were you remote beforehand yeah, so I'm on site. We have most of our most of our interviews and, and recruiting actually happens in our San Francisco office. However, you can recruit from anywhere. I right. can I can manage and lead my team from anywhere. We don't well, we love seeing each other because that that was how we built this bond. We shoot hard in my mouth, shoot the shit back and forth all day long. Now we have to figure out different ways to do that and make sure that we have the camaraderie, but we're doing it. We're having virtual right. happy hours. We're doing, you know, escape rooms, all of that, just to make sure that we, awesome. we stay connected with one another. That's great to hear. And and Rebecca, so tell us a little bit about this story. So um, tell us where you came from before Rapid SOS. And let's talk about like that February, March time period when you were jumping into this new role and, and the world was changing in front of our eyes. Oh man, it was a crazy time. So I, I, um, I interviewed in person. It was kind of before COVID really um, blew up in the United States. So that was about probably in the February time time period. And I accepted this job and I'd been coming from a consulting background. So a, a, a large company, relatively stable. And I left this job for this you know high growth startup, definitely a lot more um, unpredictability. And then COVID hits and I'm told that I'll be starting uh, remotely because our entire team is now remote, uh, not, you know, not in the office uh, for the duration of COVID. And that's never something you want to hear as like a head of people because it's all about the relationships and the people. I'm like, okay, now I'm going to have to do this virtually. So this, this will be interesting. Um, but I have also found it to be incredibly easy, kind of as, as Erica mentioned, um, you know, with technology these days, I was able to meet every single person in the company face to face through video chat. And I feel like at this point, I, I know the people. That's great. Um, and I think, you know, the one thing that you know, we'd like to focus on a lot is like, how do we ha how do we create virtually fun spaces in addition to some of those more serious work conversations. So kind of the, the water cooler talk. Of course. Yeah. And and we're going we're gonna to certainly dig into that in a little bit. But you, you kind of hit on something really interesting for any employee, especially someone who's head of people. Those first few days, those first few weeks, that first month within an organization, being able to navigate on top of that, you're the head of people. I mean, what did you do like, you know, mentally to kind of prepare yourself for this when you when you felt like, oh, my God, I just jumped into this. I'm leading people and now it's something completely new. How did, how did you kind of get your mind around that? I think listening, listening and learning. And so being really open to, I feel super fortunate that the team um, that I work with, the people team is a phenomenal group of people. Um, and so that they had actually done the whole transition to make every, to kind of move everyone remote uh, the two weeks before I joined. And, and so I joined and they had, a, they had 
it was flawless. The, you know, every, joining was flawless and I was able to just dive in and start meeting people and listening and learning to understand how, how the business operates. And it's not that, you know, we're in a tech, we're a tech company, so it's not that different than how we operate, you know, in person. Great. In many ways. No, I, I appreciate that perspective. And, and Mr. Hopal, I didn't, I didn't leave you out over here. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Adam. Thank you. And let's, let's talk about your February, March. What was that all about? My February, March was a period of transition. Uh, I came out of an organization I was working with, a great organization, Resource Pro, in the uh, insure tech space, uh, and I had a little uh, bit of family time and look for the next great excitement that I could find. Uh, and was very fortunate to encounter in Behavox in my journey uh, of uh, exploring opportunities. Uh, Behavox was just hitting hyper growth mode, and it, it's be honest, I don't, I don't know if uh, I, I can say this uh, with as much buoyancy as I would typically, but we're doing great. We're, we're in a really great state. It's, and it's, okay. Mode. it's okay to say that. Yeah, I hope so. I just don't want like, you don't want to just shine too much when there's dark days. <laughs> you have to respect that there are dark days going on for a number of people. Exactly. But we're in hyper growth mode, 53 hires in quarter three, 89 quarter wrecks out for quarter four alone. Um, basically, we're doubling up the size of the company on an annual basis at this point. My viral recruitment team started off with just two other recruiters. Now it's got 14, and we're adding wow. another seven this quarter. So um, I, just a shameless plug, if you're a fabulous recruiter, uh, then uh, <laughs> a relationship recruiter, which hopefully I'll define a little bit later, we are looking for talent. And honestly, and, and anyone who's listening live or on the replay, I mean, my network is recruiters. And that's a, that's another really strong point about what this show is all about. It's not just showcasing amazing folks here, but it's also opening up opportunities. And we'll tag it afterwards. I'll link it in the comments. I'll, we'll put the job openings there for anybody, anyone out there. I know there's some great A-list recruiter talent out on the market that's looking. Uh, Behavox is a great company. And we'll link it up to that. And that's awesome there. So let, 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 let's get into it a little bit more. So, Erica, you know, the interview process. You know, for, for most companies, there's a lot of companies that were, were 100% remote pre-COVID and they had processes in place and everything. But everyone knows that that hiring process is a is a physical connection. It's a gut feeling. It's a chemistry between the candidate and the team that they're meeting with, the people that are interviewing them. How do you replicate that? Because you guys, everyone here, I assume, has made hires during COVID. How do you get to that point where, where you're saying, you know, this is a person we want. We're going to make the hire and we feel good about them. How do you do that remotely? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I hope that we found that sweet spot at LiveRamp and I hope that everybody else has also, right? Is that, cause it's the candidate experience that makes it at least something that's super, super important to me. We we make sure that the recruiters are meeting with everybody that's coming and we still call them on sites, even though nobody's going mm -hmm. on site anywhere. We still call it an on site. I like that. Is yeah, that, we could go with that. Yeah, we, we do a candidate prep, the recruiter the day or two before we get on a Zoom and walk the candidates through to make sure that they have comfort with sharing their screens if they have to do a presentation, all in making sure that they know how to use the systems that they're comfortable so that they can go in and present their best selves during the interview piece. I like that. And asking them to just make it conversational. And we've been coaching our hiring leaders also to make sure that it's conversational, that they're not checking their phones while they're interviewing somebody, that they're not distracted, like I said before we started this, that their Slack is turned off, Shut right? Shut the Slack off. Yeah, exactly. Is it so that they're actually paying attention because both sides deserve that, right? The candidate deserves the full attention of the interviewer and the interviewer deserves the full attention of the candidate. So making sure that we set all of those on the front end, that's what's going to make that connection if they can truly spend that half hour or 45 minutes talking through what they need to, to learn about one another because it's two-way street. 
Absolutely. And I really love the prep piece too. And that shows care. And we talk about this candidate experience and how so many companies literally had to pivot on the dime. They literally had to pivot and say, we need to change everything that we're doing. Most companies, again, there's a lot of companies that are hundred percent, you know, remote there too. But you talk about that candidate experience and I love the prep work because what it's doing is it's putting a candidate at ease. It's saying, hey, listen, you may not have used whatever because some companies use their own technology, their own kind of video chat, whatever. Let's just make sure you have the tech, make sure that you're on the right platform, make sure that you know what you're doing. That way, the first couple of minutes are not the anxiety of the technology and, and figuring it all out. Adam, what are some of the um, the, the ways that you've, you've had to innovate your team in as far as process and in, in interviewing and working with um, candidates? Yeah, candidate experience. We're a tech company in our field, in our AI space. So pretty much all the talent we're hiring is top talent in that space. And if they're struggling on the tech side, I'm sorry, they're probably not the right person. <laughs> you don't know how to use Google Hang? Come on. My parents yeah. could use Zoom. We're fine. You should be able to use Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Saying that this morning, like I was 10 minutes late for one of my team meetings because I had too many tabs open and just my poor, my Razer computer, which is a lovely computer, just said, nah, Adam, having no more of it, no more tabs. Uh, thank you, Google, for no more tabs there. Anyway, uh, what are we doing on our process side? We're focusing a lot on uh, correlation coefficient, really trying to get to the crux of what interviewing practices and what evaluation practices are driving on the job performance, which is something I've done with all organizations always anyway, uh, but looking at how that's changing with the dynamic of uh, a lot of this now being, or entirely for us, online. Um, so there's things that we're bringing in really that I think are helping with that. We're using like facilitated strategic uh, uh, structured behavioral interviewing. We're just bringing that into play. So that's actually got a talent acquisition professional or partner partnered up with one of the hiring managers there uh, to actually help them through the, the whole uh, structured behavioral interview process. And also to give the kind of camaraderie there uh, during that process that it's not just uh, the one person to the one person, but there's a kind of duality going on. Uh, I think that's been a really important step. Uh, our process, yeah, is constantly evolving. Like, uh, I think that's one of the things that we have to be on top of is is not getting too set in our perfect model. Exactly. Changing around us so dramatically, so dynamically. You have to be open. You have to be malleable. You have to be open to change. And some things work and they don't. And, and it's an ongoing, it's a test and learn, right? Some uh, things may work. Some things may land. Some mm -hmm. things may fail miserably. Hopefully not at the expense of someone's you know, interview process. But hey, listen, this is this is new to all of us here. Yeah, I, I think as long as you do this in an interesting basis, so that you're looking maybe in this quarter, we're going to experiment with this, this, this. Okay, but we're not going to change the majority X, Y, Z. We've got a lot of standards in place. And then we've got my the play area where myself and the talent acquisition team basically strategize, imaginize, and decide what we're going to play with uh, in order to really find out what's driving that correlation coefficient. So for, for anyone watching right now, have you guys ever seen so much enthusiasm from a bunch of talent leaders? I mean, this is what it's all about here. Usually we're we're stuck in the in the small office in the corner of the, the back of the company there. Rebecca, um, the the on-site experience, the actual workplace for people coming into a new role is critically important. The vibe, the feel of that. And 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 for better, I mean, listen, offices are gonna open back up. Some companies in a lot and down the road, some of them are opening up now. New York City has a bunch of office spaces open there. How are you? giving that 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 candidate and the candidate experience to feel the vibe the culture of a company without being able to physically be there yeah this was something that um you know we really we really struggled you know with a lot in the beginning because you know coming into the office that's how you also you know how you sell a candidate right and get them excited about what you're doing 
Um, and so I think while we you know, are in this remote period, and I can't speak obviously to what it was like before the remote, uh, remote period, given that I, I joined and we were remote, but really having high touch opportunities to engage with a lot of different team members has been super helpful. So even if it's not in a formal interview capacity, um, having different folks come in and, and share what their experience has been like at Rapid SOS and having a mix of folks, some who joined more recently and had to do, you know, get immersed in the culture and, and get onboarded virtually. And some who've been around for four years and can talk about, you know, how the culture has evolved um, and what's really remained the same, even though we've been um, in this virtual environment. And so I think that has been something that we've, we've really utilized is um, utilizing a ton of different people, even those not uh, formally involved in the uh, interview process. I saw one company, I forgot who I was talking to uh, a couple of weeks ago, they created a virtual office tour, um, more than virtual. I mean, they had somebody with like a GoPro on and kind of showed everybody around the office and they created a 360 experience where a candidate could come and they could see what it'd actually be like. And they built out this entire process before they even got on the Zoom call. It had like an onboarding component, uh, uh, you know, a cultural piece as well too. Uh, just really fascinating stuff that I really feel that there's going to be pieces of this, the takeaway when we get back to the the, the previous process that we're going to still incorporate. Adam, what are some of the tools and, and pieces that you have had to innovate that you're like, holy shit, this is great. Why haven't we been doing this forever? How are you going to roll that in? I mean, one one question, for example, is, Will previous all on-site interviews continue to be all on-site when we can get back? Or do you guys feel like there's pieces that might be able to stay remote from an efficiency perspective, from a scheduling perspective? What are you finding, Adam? Well, we like uh, with Erica, we actually have a culture very much based on company, on people coming together. We, we are very tech focused, obviously, and we're very in it about innovation and innovation is bounced best. So even during COVID, we put an investment into Montreal for a 400 person office. Uh, which is being built out as we speak. Uh, it's a beautiful thing with trees inside and everything. Like when everyone else is moving away from that, we, we decided to signal to the whole government and the world, like all over Canada, that we are going to invest in this area. So um, we're definitely going to push through on that. As far as tools that really have helped uh, and helped things we've learned that have adjusted our process, because we use structured behavioral interviewing and uh, we're now doing everything with video, uh, I, we're actually able to use videos with timestamps. The problem with video interviews I find is that it's very rare that a hiring manager can actually make time to go and watch the whole video uh, and therefore like they don't even start. But when you can actually say, okay, at this point, we're examining this competency. At this point, we're examining this, their response to this. Interesting. Then they can nip in for like a three minute or five minute part of that video. They don't have uh, to watch the whole thing. We only just started really trying to bring out, but because I've seen the need with so much video being captured, here that was not being captured previously, how do we most uh, effectively utilize that? How do we increase our throughput and our candidate experience by using that and our analytics, especially so that we don't have to have multiple, multiple rounds of a big or pulling, pushing down the rounds, three real rounds and all the data gathering you need. So we're finding a lot more efficiencies in the process. People are available, they're scheduling. And, and Rebecca, correct me if I'm wrong here, you like the numbers. Yes, I like, you like the data. You like the I numbers. I like data. Here. Yes, you like data and numbers. Is it just a, a ton more than than we've expected? Because everything is digital and remote, and, and we're able to kind of capture it all. How are you taking the data, uh, the new data, and applying it to the process and improvements? Yeah, great question. So we um, have done a, a deep dive into our entire hiring process to see if we are really focusing on the right right parts of the process. 
um, from a time perspective. So looking at the data around how, how much time are people spending at each stage of the interview process, not just for our candidates, but also really for our hiring team. And that's mm -hmm. everyone from our hiring managers to our recruiters to um, you know, our executives. And what we found is that we are spending a lot of time on the tail end, probably in that on-site stage and bringing a lot of people probably to on-sites, but we're not spending enough time in the beginning stages, really vetting candidates on the recruiting side um, and really making sure we're engaging so the them. Yeah, and so started to shift a bit more in that that direction, which I think has been really helpful for us to make sure that we're bringing really high quality folks uh, on on oh, and we call it on sites as well. We call it our virtual on site stage. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And Erica, let's talk about innovations at LiveRamp. What is like the one holy shit moment? Like why haven't we been doing this forever? Epiphany. Yeah, I think a lot of it is the the virtual interviewing. It's as crazy as that sounds, right? Is that it became a necessity, but we're now thinking we don't need to worry about flying people in from all corners of the country to come and interview. We figured this out and we're still hiring rock star people. It's saving so, tons of money. <laughs> um, absolutely. So I think that that's one thing that we're really going to reevaluate if and when, well, when we get back into the offices, do we really need to have people come in for every single interview? Is that necessary? Do we need to have it also see we're having town halls every month. We're doing them all virtually today. And quite honestly, they seem to be running smoother than when you pull, you know, three floors of an office into a town hall space in the building. So maybe we're going to continue doing things like that remotely so that everybody can get in. So we're just looking at what makes the most efficiencies that we're going to continue doing. I, I really think that the, the travel piece and the candidate experience, to your point, you brought you mentioned about the virtual interview or I'm sorry, the virtual um office tour we did something similar it sounds like the other one's a little bit more in depth than ours but that's it was crazy that we're going to continue is that why not why didn't we do this before why didn't I give that to candidates earlier in the process and maybe in the application process when they're looking at job ads and job descriptions where they could actually see the office before and to get them excited i mean this is opportunities for employer branding you know candidates and and, and current employees are going to remember now how companies reacted and what they did more when we get out of this, right? Was my company there? Were they supportive? Did they continue to to, to hire folks? And, and what was that process like if I'm a hiring manager? Let's take a quick pause here and we have a question and then we'll get back into it. Uh, whoever wants to answer this one. Uh, Oliveira asks, uh, what would be your best advice for job seekers right now? What is the most important thing to have in mind when applying? Now it's a bit of a broad question, so I'll narrow it in here. Uh, it's crazy. Like generally speaking, there's tons of unemployment. There's a lot of great a-list talent on the market, and it's making it really hard for folks that may have been unemployed before to have those opportunities. So I'd love to ask all of you guys, and we'll go around the horn here. We'll start with Adam. How does a candidate stand out, especially now more than ever, in that early stage application process? How do they get on the recruiter's radar? How do they make themselves known? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one because, as you say, there is such a amount of talent there all seeking roles. Um, I'd say three little tips. Uh, the first one's going to sound horribly generic, but it really makes such a difference. Staying positive because that mentality matters so much. Like, uh, yes, you may be in a slightly dark place, but you, that, reflecting that in the interview process, uh, like the HR and talent team may, may respond to that and understand it. But generally, you've you got to bring your best self to those interviews as, uh, as best you can, even though times are challenging. And that's when you really learn who your best self is to a certain extent, right. when times are challenging. Uh, recommendation also that you seek alignment with growth areas. Uh, I used to work in the aviation in the industry for a long time. 
not an industry I'd focus on, like even if that's where you work previously at the moment, it's just probably not the soundest choice to be looking at that area at this point. Whereas right. other areas that are, there are certain areas that are really booming. In the tech space particularly, there's industries that are particularly booming. Do you have transferable skills that can be applied into those areas, even if you don't have a tech background? Um, and finally, I'd say, really, if there's more organizations using kind of structured behavioral interviewing, uh, then crafting those stories, really thinking about how do I craft that story so it brings together what I really brought, the impact I generated on that company, uh, for that company or that organization. Like making sure that it's got the metrics in there, the analytics, as well as it's a holistic story, uh, which it contains all of the best parts of the star methodology. That's that's fantastic. Eric, I'd love to get your perspective. Same question. How do candidates yeah, stand out now more know, than ever? Adam took all the good ones. Um, <laughs> there's plenty more, but number I one. I just cut them off. Like, like, a debate, like the debate yeah. last night. I should be able to just, I'll just mute his mic. I ha actually the have the ability button. to do that. I have it. I could do that, but I won't. Sorry, Erica, you have the stage. No, no worries. I, I, you know, it is that positivity. As hard as it is, you got to stay positive. It is thinking about things that may not be the industry that you've always been a part of. Get outside of your comfort zone because that might be where the next new thing is for you. Um, and networking, right, is talking to everybody. And that's the hard, at least, especially in these times, right? Is it all you can network is online for the most part. You can't, right. it's not like you're going out to Starbucks and hanging out. It is you're not, that's just not happening. So you have to find other ways to network um, and make those relationships and, and put that on your calendar, right? Is it make it something that's very specific yeah, during these times, I'm gonna reach out to X number of people and start those conversations, even if they're just informational lead to an interview but as long as it's it's you're talking to somebody they may know somebody else um it's all that six degrees of separation that would be my my biggest encouragement is get out and talk yeah, that, to people that that's tremendous and and rebecca what are you seeing like is it is it just a flood of applicants for open roles and like uh, and i'm seeing I'm, I'm on my side i'm seeing a much higher percentage of unqualified applications for jobs um, and, and there's a lot of empathy that goes into it because I, I, I understand I've been there before. I've been on that other side out of work and it's tough. But what it's doing is it's creating a, a real strain on the recruit on, on the frontline recruiters. Those that have to you know go through all those applications and look at all those resumes to find it. And I think it's actually taking away from some of those kind of borderline candidates where you're like, hey, this person could look good. There's some things there I like. Maybe I want to spend a little bit more time looking at their background because now I'm inundated with so much volume coming in on my plate. What are you seeing on your side and how are you managing the workflow with your team? Yeah, I mean, we have, like you mentioned, a lot of volume and it's it's hard and a lot of, you know, qualified applicants, and a lot of unqualified applicants. I think where we like to, you know, focus when we're doing that initial resume screen is really demonstrated impact at the prior companies you've, you've been at. Um, so putting in some metrics to show like, here's what, not just what my role was, but here's the impact I had. And I think as, as Adam mentioned, uh, or, or, or I forget if it was Adam or Erica, but you know, the, the importance of transferable skills. Um, and so it doesn't mean you have to have worked in that industry before, but it mean, but what we'd like to see is that you've had demonstrated impact in your prior roles or, you know, educational experience, um, that you can share that with us. Um, and that you have transferable skills that you can and you can draw on examples to bring those to light. Um, and so those are some things that we really, really rely on as we look at candidates. And then as both Erica and Adam have mentioned, the positivity. I mean, we want to bring people in who are excited and and excited about our mission and we're feeling, you know, who are just very positive people. And so we do, you know, look for that and um, 
uh, that's a very important part of the process as well. Excellent. I certainly appreciate that. And, you know, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about DNI. And I wish it, it didn't take a global pandemic and all the crazy shit that's going on in our world, elections coming up and, and the country being polarized and divided and everything to have DNI be uh, forefront. But it, but it is. Erica, I'd love to hear a little bit about what, what your company is doing as far as DNI initiatives. And maybe like, honestly, like, what, what are some of the challenges that you're having? Sure. So I can't help but agree with you, Adam, is that it, it is a shame that it had to come to the last six, seven months for this to become such a spotlight. Um, it's something that's always rung true to me, as with LiveRamp. But we did go from, I would say, toddler stage to teenage within a matter of months to get our diversity, inclusion, and belonging off the ground. We have had a diversity, inclusion, and belonging council that comes together and, it, it, and it's been in place for close to two years, talking about how do we make sure that we're getting the right people on board? How do we make sure that they're included once they get here? But since, I would say probably since late May is that we've launched, I think it's six ERGs in the matter of that time across the board where before we had two. So that is something that's helping our employee base. Um, from a recruiting perspective, we're really looking at where, where are there underrepresented groups that we, we haven't tapped into? How can we make sure that we are doing our part as a company to bring in underrepresented groups to help us build that the diversity leads to innovation, right? Is that when two people are different, there leads to a little bit of tension, right? Which leads to innovation, new ideas. That's why we want the diversity in our workplace. It's not just because we need to look different. It's the right thing to do. It's beneficial to the company and it is the right thing to do is that we need to make sure that we're bringing that on board and that we look like everybody in our communities that we work in. I love it. That's fantastic. Rebecca, same question. Yeah. So this has been a uh you know, I echo kind of what Erica said at the beginning, but this has been a really um, big focus for us um, recently. We are a public safety company. And so with recent events, um, you know, we have we have folks with a lot of different backgrounds and experiences on our team. We have individuals who come from, you know, inner city and, and major, you know, major cities across the United States and who have, um, you know, dealt with uh, police and other law enforcement in different capacity. We have also former police officers on mm -hmm. our team. And we feel I feel so fortunate in this time where we can bring together a lot of different perspectives. And so we've held um, facilitated forums on race over the course of the summer to really use this as a time to bring our company together around a united mission on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and we've also launched our first ever um, diversity, equity, and inclusion council, which is run by a leader in our engineering organization, as well as uh, a leader in our public safety organization. And so I feel, you know, it's been a very challenging time for us, but also a very exciting time as we learn how to bring different types of communities together and, and really role model that as a company. That, that's tremendous. Adam, same question to you. Mm. I think uh, we, we're really still focusing on some of the foundations. I think this uh, it takes firm foundations to be able to make it worth building programs in this area. And until those foundations are robust, uh, I don't want to build things that are going to topple down. I think some of the foundational work that we've been doing really, though, is around uh, recognizing and reducing bias, uh, naturally from a cognitive bias perspective, like just making people aware of uh, when they're going into interviews or when they're in discussion with talent, how much stuff is actually going in their head that they have no control over or at this point, a lot of people have no awareness of. So just bringing right. some of the awarenesses of those cognitive biases to play. We have a community of a global community of over 40 different nationalities in our company already. So that already brings a lot of different 
cognitive perspectives, which we try and treasure as best we can. Uh, and uh, really looking at things like uh, the Hofstede work on understanding the difference in cultural nuances from culture to culture really helps in us thinking in a more diverse manner. Um, also, I, I'm very keen on looking at the areas of neurodiversity as well, uh, which I think uh, there's a lot of areas uh, mm -hmm. about bringing the different perspectives to play here. We have to balance here. We've got a business mission and we've also got a human mission going on. Uh, and I like it when we can get these things working in tandem because that's a foundation I can build on. Uh, if it's too heavily weighted to either side, then I don't feel we can build the best DNI activity. But we can get a great balance there between the human perspective, the people perspective, and the uh, business perspective on what value this is bringing. Then that's something you can really build great programs from. That's tremendous. And let's talk about bias. Let's talk about unconscious bias. Listen, every single one of us has some level of unconscious bias. And if not, we wouldn't be human. We'd be robots by the way we're brought up, we're exposed to our environment, all these other factors as well, too. But us in talent, in talent access, by the way, I, I stopped calling it talent acquisition. I, I call it talent access now. I don't like the word acquisition. And what I mean by that is it's our job to attract the best talent, give them access to the best opportunities. So I replaced acquisition with access. You don't have to use it, but I'd love if everyone could try a little bit and see how it works for you guys. So you'll see my hashtag talent access everywhere. Um, and I want to talk about unconscious bias for a little bit because the recruiters, the in the trenches recruiters are at the front line of opening the gates to the culture within an organization. Who, who, who's going to have those opportunities there? So they are the ambassador. They are the gatekeeper. They are the doorman or women, you know, so to speak, with that velvet rope there. So, Rebecca, what are some of those things that you work with your team for either bias training? I mean, any other pieces or tools that you've seen really work well? Yeah, so we've done and we did this summer unconscious bias training for the entire company just to get give everyone a common framework and language to be using around unconscious or implicit bias. Um, but what I what we've been doing specifically on the recruiting team is starting to put a lot more processes in place that can standardize the interview process so that um, candidates aren't getting a different experience. Um, this is super, super important as you think about evaluating someone not on whether you like him or her because you share the same uh, favorite movie or TV show, right. but whether they are actually the best fit for the job. So our recruiting team has spent a lot of time on putting together kind of questions for interviewers so that they can have a, a question bank and ask the same questions to every candidate. Um, we've spent a lot of time also trying to increase the um, our pipeline and, and tap into different um, uh, different avenues to get more diverse talent. But then it's also about that inclusion piece and um, and and reviewing job uh, job descriptions to make sure those are using inclusive language. Important too. Um, so there are a lot of th ways we're kind of deep diving in this recruiting and hiring and and process. sourcing and sourcing is so important too. I mean, if you're only fishing in the same pond, you're only going to catch the same fish. I mean, that's the analogy that I like to use all the time. That there's more places other than LinkedIn. There's other pieces because because mm -hmm. some folks, depending on your role, what they what they are, you may not have certain access to certain things. Depending, I'm very broad statement there. Let's pause and take a question from somebody that I know from my career who's helped me out along the way. Hi, Michelle. Let's take your question. There's a long one here, so I will read it. She's asking, how are your recruiters managing diversity in your workforce when most managers are looking for, I hate this expression, cultural fit, or someone like them? And I hear more and more recruiters shifting towards teaching leaders and managers how to think more broadly about their own choices and coaching them to gravitate not towards who they like, 
but who adds to the organization and your thoughts on that. And, and my little kind of spiel on this one is, you know, I don't, I, I hate culture fit. I hate that expression. I mean, I look at everybody as a thread and, and the threads make up the fabric and the quilt of that organization. That's really going to make it shine. Erica, what are your thoughts on this question here? How do you, how yeah, do you manage the, the hiring, the hiring manager part of it? It's one thing for the recruiters, but how do you take that bias from the hiring manager? Does that come from the recruiters? Is it, is it their responsibility? Part of it's our responsibility, right? So, so the recruiters, which we actually just changed, you said talent access, we've changed our titles from recruiters to talent acquisition partners, because we're a partner at the table. Um, that just happened on like Monday. So I'm really excited about that. Um, but the recruit, the talent acquisition partners, TAPS, as I will call them, is that Absolutely. they need to make sure that they're coaching their hiring managers around a value add or as a culture add. We took the vernacular of culture fit out. We're now calling it a culture ad. Our, we have a culture, but we can always build on that. And that's what we're looking for to diversify. And that's if you hire somebody that looks and behaves like you has the exact same background, it's not making us better. It's making us the same. So exactly. adding the value, we the, the taps continue to talk about talk to that to their hiring managers that bring in somebody that's different than you because they're going to have a different perspective and they're going to bring a, a value to your team. That's tremendous. Adam, what are your thoughts on this question? First of all, Erica, we're singing off the same hymn sheet. Two weeks ago, I transformed all of the talent, uh, the recruiter titles into talent acquisition professionals, or partners rather, so they were already using the TAP acronym. And then we have talent acquisition specialists, who used to be our sources, but I've brought them there as well. So we've got our TAPs and our TASs. Uh, we want to keep those TAPs flowing. Yeah, the, the whole thing right. very nicely with this. Uh, we're on the same sheet there. Um, as far as uh, affecting that inside interview process or with hiring managers, I think the biggest thing that we're pushing towards is more of this facilitated interviewing uh, because it means that we've got a very eclectic uh, collection of um, cultures that are in our uh, workforce as hiring managers. We've also got inside our recruitment team that's reflected. Uh, and when two people share and they come from different backgrounds and different perspectives and they're looking at structured behavioral interview competencies and they're discussing where uh, how much the, the, the their evaluation was a match to the business need when those discussions are taking place then i, I tend to find they start to grind away the individualized biases uh, that live in people's minds uh, when those things come out and they're being shared in robust discussion and you give framework inside those interviews for those robust discussions post interview all interviews occur and then post then there's a roundup in which the the either the role model colleague which is a concept we have where it's not interviewed by the hiring manager but the hiring manager chooses a role model colleague to be involved in a facilitated interview interesting uh, in which the they basically they're a, they're the most authentic advocate you can get for the position really a hiring manager is always going to be seen with some form of uh oh he's just trying to sell me on the role we like to identify role model colleagues who have deep I like that understanding and they lead our what we call our interview wise which is our technical interview uh and the tap will basically walk the through the whole process uh, and then the uh, role model colleague or the hiring manager in the later interviews is there for why 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 and how 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 digging under the skin of those stories to get to the real crux uh, data points that we can gather to find out if it's a fit for both ways absolutely i mean that's when it's okay to say fit because it's a fit for for both for both sides of the equation and and speaking of equation and data and numbers and all that rebecca what what have you seen either within you know rapid sos or out there in the industry as far as using data to understand bias and to stop it in its tracks Ooh, well this is uh this is a good good question 
um, you know, and one we're trying to, to understand a, a bit more, uh, admittedly. Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot of data that I think shows, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, you take these online implicit uh, bias tests, I don't know if anyone has, you know, taken it here, but they're fascinating, right? And it shows you that you, for example, many people associate, unsurprisingly, men with science and math and women with humanities and, and history and, and all the social sciences. And so um, that comes into play in the recruiting process. You know, that data we can't ignore when we're in the recruiting process because you're going to automatically start to assume one thing if a woman comes in for an engineering interview as opposed to a man. And you might start to ask questions differently based on your assumption, your unconscious bias or assumption around what women are capable of versus men. And so the data that's kind of out there in the industry around these implicit association tests is super powerful to show, you know, how we can start to think proactively around what data we need to be capturing so that we can test, you know, are we seeing that bias play out in our workforce um, or do we or do we not? Tremendous. How to correct that, of course. Oh, I love it. So 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 let, let's talk a little bit about team building here. And uh we all started somewhere in this industry and some of us are like, I don't even know how I got here. I don't even know how I became a recruiter by trade. I don't even know how this even happened here. Erica, if you have a, a brand new, you know, fresh out of the box recruiter standing in front of you, a talent acquisition, a tap in front of you, what's that one golden piece of advice that you're going to give him or her to be successful in this industry? Gosh, um, it's a good question. I will, I'm going to go with, you got to be nice still is right. There's a lot of sharpie recruiters out there and you're as a recruiter, your word is really who you are and people you're, you have mentioned that there was somebody that made a comment that you've known for a good part of your career is that you're what you say to a candidate, they will remember and your paths may cross down the road. So if you give them a false bill of sale early on, they're going to remember you as a sharpie recruiter and they won't trust you again. Um, so I think that it's just be trustworthy and be be straightforward throughout the entire process. Rebecca, what are your thoughts? Same question. Yeah, I think, um, you know, yes. And I think also being uh, inquisitive and curious and really wanting to learn about people. Right. I, you know, I get a, I love talking to people. I love you know, some people call it networking. I call it just like learning about other people. Um, and that's a lot of fun to me. And so to be successful as a recruiter, I think you need to have that passion to learn about others. And as you mentioned, Adam, it's it's really about this um, talent access, right? And so it's accessing the right opportunities and, and understanding what they want in their next part of their career and making sure you're helping make that match. Um, and you'll do that if you're curious and inquisitive about what, you know, what drives them and what motivates them. And I think that's also how you build, uh, build trust. I love that word inquisitive. And that's something I look for professionally and personally in, in people that I'm drawn to. And I love when candidates, there's two sides of it. I love good questions from candidates, really thoughtful questions that they did their homework, that they're genuinely interested in us. And I think there's a lot of candidates, and I see it in, on the younger side, that don't put in the work and show that you're interested in the company. This isn't a, a one-way street here. You actually have to care about that. And I think that's one piece. So natural inquisitive, being inquisitive is definitely a strong one. Adam, you've been, you've been around the block. You've been, you know, in this business for a number of years around the globe. You've been there, you've done that, you've seen it. 
What do you have? A, you have a brand new green recruiter fresh out of the box in front of you. What are you saying to him or her to, to set them on the right path? Are you saying I've got some gray hairs on this old chinny chin chin? You said we wouldn't get personal. I'm just looking at your LinkedIn profile, man. I'm a recruiter. I do my research. I can look at I can look at your I can look at your tenure. These are facts, man. These are facts. It's not opinion. Concur. Um, I come from a slightly different perspective on this. Um, but I'd say that I've got two concepts that I really play very, to very heavily. Uh, one of them is that primarily anyone working in an organization that is a for-profit business should be a business person first who wears a certain hat uh, of speciality. Uh, I found that's how I've like that. made the most success in my organizations by primarily thinking as a business person, but I've got a talent hat which I wear very proudly and it has a couple of feathers in it, but primarily I'm a business guy and that's what I expect from all of my team as well. Uh, in each of the functional areas you work with, I think primarily we're all business folk working together or organizational builders if you're in a nonprofit, but that's, that's one of the key concepts. When it comes specifically to recruiters and TAPs, uh, um, I look for a concept I call the Renaissance Recruiter and I build up this concept of Renaissance Recruiter. I believe that you're really looking that to succeed incredibly in the talent space, especially in the TA or talent access space, uh, catching already, hashtag, um, then uh, we want three areas that are coming together. One of those I think is marketing. If I'm talking to people and they're not familiar with the concept of a marketing persona, like, uh, or the basic marketing concepts that we use, they're using a marketing function, then they're probably not the kind of person I'm after, or those are skills I need to help build them build out. Another area is sales. There's so much to be learned from sales. Uh, I've worked in sales. I spent half my career in commercial side, running businesses rather than in the talent side, but supplying talent products. So I think having the sales vocabulary, understanding funnels and how sales processes are optimized, because a lot of what we do is associated with funnels and process optimization. And then having the science. Uh, that's my big driver at the moment, like uh, correlation coefficient. If you don't know that an unstructured the interview, basically an unstructured conversation has an approximate correlation coefficient at its very best of 0.2. And what that means compared to, for example, a uh, behavioral structured interview topping out around 0.45, depending on which data you use. And if you don't know your Hunter and Schmidt, then I probably, yeah. that's stuff I either want to teach you because you're great raw material, or I want you to come with already if I'm hiring you for senior roles. Look at that. Now we're bringing the science. I mean, that's what it really breaks down to. I mean, I remember day one when I started out on recruiting, I had to learn the art and science of the business. There, there's definitely two sides of it here. So I want to I bring it home. And if anybody listens to the proper audio podcast, which I hope everyone does, there's a series of questions that I've asked over, geez, 110 interviews at this stage. I'm going to ask each one of you a, a separate question here. Uh, Erica, what is the greatest single piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every single day? Gosh, that's tough. Why did I have to go first again? Um, <laughs> I, I, there's not a rhyme or reason to it. I have a little, that's I have a little right. randomizer over here. Yeah. Gosh. Like a spinny thing from uh, Twister. I'm giving yeah, you, I'm, okay. I'm, 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 I'm stalling for you so you can think about it. That's I appreciate what I'm doing that. That's, what, that's that. my hosting skills. Yeah. You know, I think that, some of the best advice that I got is actually from somebody that was a boss in the past, but now I would consider a dear, dear friend. Um, and it's about teamwork is that I, she, it was my first day and she was like, we need you to learn how to do e-verify. I had never known what e-verify was. I had to launch it at the company. So she saw the deer in the headlights look and she said, it's like you're in kindergarten. We're all on one team. We're going to hold hands 
And if one of us goes down, we're all going to go down together and I'm not letting you go down. So that's something that I think that I really, I go off of, right? Is that we are one team. And, and that's something that I hope that my team lives through every day is that we work together and we support one another rather than letting somebody fail. We're not going to let that happen. So lifting each other up is super important. I love it. Rebecca, what is, what is your superpower? What do you do better than almost anyone in this planet? Oof. Oh, that's, that's a different, that's a different question than advice. <laughs> um, so superpower. So I'd say I, I am super, super organized, organized. And I will say, I see that as my Like your closets also? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. you're definitely, in, you're definitely inbox zero, right? You're inbox zero. Oh yep. yes, of course. My, my wife this morning, I think, and she's, she might be watching. I think she had 44,000 and I, I look at it and like, I, I can't even like yes. control my panic, panic. emotions. <laughs> yes. And they all have to be like, all emails have to be categorized and correct. Right. And put in the right folder and I can be able to find it later. It's super important, but I will say what this gives me the ability to do is juggle many balls at one time. And there's always, you know, running a people team where there's the recruiting aspect. Of course, that's a big piece, but then there's so many other things. And so being able to keep myself kind of accountable and organized against all the different competing priorities is, is super, super important. And so um, that's what I would say my, my superpower is. I love it. Adam, what would you say is your greatest professional accomplishment? These are a tasty round of questions. I love what I do. I love this as much as recruiting. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really, uh, I, I think I'm in a very fortunate position where there's a fair portfolio of things I could draw from, from building up, like increasing uh, 2,000 headcounts uh, to a company within one year uh, for a global organization or helping that. So, putting the structure and systems that allow that to happen and doing it in a generative manner. So it wasn't just hectic. And it was, it was Rebecca would have loved it. It was very nicely organized. I think Eric would have loved it as well. Like uh, it, it was done in a manner that not only brought that talent in, but respected that talent. And 2,000 headcount growth for a company that was only, what, 3,500 headcount in total is massive growth. Like, uh, so I, I think I was very proud of that. But then uh, I, I worked... I was vice president of Abu Dhabi University, and we did social programs helping develop the entirety of the workforce, uh, uh, the Emirati employment, employability for the whole country, which was incredibly something you could be incredibly proud about being part of, helping disadvantaged folk, uh, people in situations which were, were aided in that scenario. So uh, it depends what the, on the day and on the lens and on the light. Uh, I think there's many that could be drawn upon. Just two examples, I think. That's awesome. And we're going to bring it home here and, and we'll stick with Adam on this one. As I mentioned, I want to end the show on positivity. That's what it's all about. Listen, we're all going through shit here. It's been crazy. I mean, I, if I ever, if I never hear the word unprecedented again, I'll be fine with it. It needs to be stricken from the record. It needs to be out of our face. And you know what? Listen, the clock, everyone's hoping that on, on, on December 31st, 2020, it's just going to be over. It's not. It's not. Anybody thinks that is out of their mind. So we got to figure out how to do this together and we got to stay strong. And I, that happens with positivity. I started my day on a very negative note. I'll leave that for another conversation. I was not my best self this morning. And then I brought it back so I could be good for you guys here. But Adam, I'd love if you could share with us one professional and one personal silver lining. And Rebecca and Erica, you're going to get the same question. So you have some time to prepare. I'm starting with the man on the top right. All righty. Uh, from the professional side, um, silver lining. 
Nah, man, that ain't even close. I'm working with a silver cloud here. This is solid silver. Like, silver uh, jacket. Not quite how it floats, but to our work side of things, we're doing some amazing work with some incredible people. We've got such a mission in our organization. Uh, it's transforming internal data for companies and clients globally. And it's a great mission to be involved in. Wonderful, smart community. There is no silver lining. There's just a silver cloud there. Uh, and that's like, I am fairly enthusiastic and fairly positive by nature. But man, this is really, that's, that's how the, the, the cake tastes. That's what it's like. Uh, from a personal perspective, again, I'm not quite sure I'd like to share on this, but I, I actually like work from home. I've got a little three and a half year old daughter. It means I get to spend my lunch times with her. It that's okay. Pop up and say hi and like give her a hugsy and run around on the balcony when I'm feeling like energy just comes, I need to run around and do stuff. Um, so I, I, that additional contact time with the family, yes, I'm going to love being back in the office because you get much more of the professional contact again and the innovation and concept ideation. But I, I, I treasure my family and uh, having uh, just even five more minutes with them directly each day is adding to my quality of life. And that's and that's the best. And, and, and it just gives us like that moment to pause and just be thankful when we do go back to work. Just remember this time that we have, especially for all of us out there with young kids. I mean, this is time we'll never get back. You know, especially in the States when maternity leave and parental leave is so, such garbage here, to have this opportunity to spend with our kids, I mean, it, it's been invaluable. Erica, professional and personal silver lining. Professional, I, I have come to realize how resilient not only I am, but the 20 people on my team are, is that we've been thrown curveballs every day. And that's not just live ramp. Everybody, we're all getting curveballs every day. And you guys may not have noticed, I had a curveball. My my fifth grader came in and, and he couldn't get onto a Zoom classroom. So there's the curveball for today, right? Is that oh, yeah. he needs to figure out how to get to class. And thankfully, we could do that um, a little bit off screen. So that I think is something professionally, resilience is amazing. Um, personally, I have been able to use this time to, number one, remodel the house or to really kind of put the time into the house that I grew up in, I just moved back and I'll call it home. I've lived in San Francisco all my life, but I moved back into the house that I grew up in two oh, wow. months ago. And to me, that is, I can walk through and I have all these memories that I now get to share with my kids. Like when we were in here, we called this room this because of X, Y, and Z. It's really kind of cool to be able to share that with my kids. And had it not been this downtime, it would have taken even longer. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that moment with us. I love it. Rebecca, bring us home here. Uh, professional. So I'll start there. Um, so first of all, I think for me, just this feeling of waking up every day and feeling so excited about what I'm doing. One, because of the role I'm playing, I'm supporting all of our employees across the company. And I love that. And I love that that is what I do as I support other people so that they can bring their best selves to work. Um, but I also love the mission of the company, as Adam mentioned as well about um, his company. I love that I, I I come to work every day. I open our Slack channel and I I look at our customer success stories and I see, oh, we saved another li life because of the technology that we're providing. 911 was able to respond quickly and efficiently because because of what Rapid SOS was doing. And there's a headline story. And I, I love that. Um, and that gets me excited every day. Um, on the personal side, I, I grew up in Boston. I was about to move to New York. And over the last six months, my partner and I have been up in Vermont, um, kind of in the middle of nowhere. We were like, oh, is this going to be a good thing or a bad thing? And we loved it. Vermont's we great. loved the ability to be outdoors, 
to not be caught up in city life um, and to learn, you know, spend time together. And so from from my, I see that as a huge silver lining on the prof- on the personal side where I really got to learn something new about myself, um, about being in a different type of environment and really, really enjoyed that. I love it. And everyone, thank you. Thank you so much for, for spending an hour with me and for everyone tuning in and everyone tuning in. Thank you for spending your time with us. I really hope that it was educational, informative, a little entertaining. You know, we, we try here. We try to add some fun and humor to the world of talent access here. Uh, we'll go a quick around the horn, a, a quick final thought and tell everybody where they could find you, where they connect with you, where could they learn more? We'll start. We'll go backwards. Rebecca. Awesome. Well, check out rapidsos.com if you're interested in career opportunities. We are listing some on our page, so please be sure to check that out. You can find me on LinkedIn. I love that part of my my job is being on LinkedIn and social media. How many people can say that? I guess this right. group can, but, but not many others. So uh, I love that. So you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Erica. Yeah, we, much like Rebecca is that we're we're in growth mode right now and we have um, some great hiring initiatives coming around. So please, if you're interested in ad tech, engineering within ad tech, we have a good number of um, open positions. Come visit us at liveramp.com slash careers. Would love to see some, some inflow of candidates there. Um, and I can be found on LinkedIn also, Erica Thorson hyphen Garay. There's not many Thorson Garays out there on LinkedIn. You'll be able to find me pretty easily. <laughs> it's actually the easiest one. I have to search from you. And like literally, it's it's right, it's the easiest one. Uh, Adam, your name's a little bit more difficult when I have to search. Where can folks find you? Where can yeah, they connect with you? Where can they learn about this massive hiring going on? One of the greatest gifts I ever got was my father passing me the surname of Hopewell. I think I love my Hopewell surname. It's very positive. Uh, there are a couple of Adam Hopewells on LinkedIn. But uh, if you see the one with the big shiny smile uh, and uh, who works in talent and in Behavox, 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 um, then that, that, that's me. Please feel free, LinkedIn. Uh, I love connecting with other talent professionals and with talent around the world. And we are looking for some of the best talent in AI, machine learning, and supported services around that. We've got an incredible mission. And what, as I say, we've got 89 uh, hires, uh, talents, Rex going out this month. So uh, I, if uh, we can fill those all with the world's premium talent, then that makes me and the organization fly. Uh, so yes, uh, please go to behavox.com. Our careers page has just been revamped, or our website just been revamped. It's looking slick. Uh, and also get a feel for what we're doing. And if that super inspires you, then we'd love to be talking. Yes, I love it. Everybody, thank you so much for joining us. Hang with me for one moment. Uh, We will be back on Tuesday, right around the corner, right after this wonderful weekend. We have coming up with a brilliant brand marketing roundtable. I have the co-founder of Tiny Beans, Eddie Geller, the founder and CEO of Pop Wallet, Elias Guerrera, and the CTO of Lunchbox, Andrew Bjork. Andrew Bjork. Sorry, I have four days to get his name right between now and then, but we will certainly get there. Uh, Everyone on this panel, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Hang with me for one moment as I sign off here. And everyone watching at home, take care. Wash your hands. Stay six feet apart. Take care of each other. Find us at thepodcast.com. You know all of our social channels. And I'm out of breath. And have a great weekend, everybody. Take care. Wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.